welcome to Virginia's Young Farmers Podcast. I'm Morgan Slavin. And I'm Ashley Keeler. And we're a couple advocates who are passionate about cultivating conversations about agriculture and rural issues. Whether you're a generational farmer like me or a farming hopeful like Ashley, we're just happy to have you here as part of our community. Y'all, we've got an exciting topic to talk about today. I'm here at Virginia Farm Bureau's 2023 annual meeting. We're down here in Virginia Beach. Um, it's nice and pleasant. Uh, we're about to have some colder weather coming in back in the valley this week. I'm flying solo today as Ashley couldn't make it down for the convention, but I just spent today in a workshop with Dick Whitman, who talked about farm transition planning and the success of a farm management plan that involves our families. And this seems to have been a pretty hot topic over the past. It seems like it's been popping up over the past year, Rachel. And um, I've got Rachel Henley here as well. She's the agriculture extension agent in Powhatan County. And uh, Rachel's also on the State Young Farmers Committee with us. I've really gotten to enjoy Rachel over the past um, year or so since she's been on the committee. But she has been one of several extension agents, I think, in conjunction with Farm Credit and Farm Bureau that have really been taking the lead on getting this conversation with some legs under it. I mean, farm transition planning, Rachel, you can talk to it a little bit. You work with producers every day is um, something I think everybody talks about is needing, but whether you get some, you know, a little action behind you and start moving on it, uh, it's a, that's a whole different story. So um, tell us a little bit about specifically this workshop, how it came to be, what you've been doing with this work, and then we'll uh, kick it to, to Dick over here to um, talk to us a little bit about his insight. Awesome. Thanks so much, Morgan, for having me on. We are so excited to have Dick here in November of 2023. Um, myself and co-worker Christy Hopkins were co-chairs along with Dr. John Bove of the Ag Economics Department at Tech with the Agribusiness Management and Economics Program team. And so over the last four or five years, we have realized that this is an issue that a lot of people aren't wanting to talk about. Christy and myself um, both married into farm families, multi-generational, and dealing with the stress of not having clarity. As Dick has said, clarity brings a lot of peace to all generations. So being able to start these conversations, talk about this need um, to how do we transition our farm businesses how do we run them more professionally, I think is a great perspective that Dick brings to this conversation and his experience working on a multi-generational family farm himself, transitioning to another generation, um, working with farm credit, working with farm credit administration, and for multiple, what, three plus decades, Dick, have been working as consulting with family farms all across the country. Um, but Extension brought him here in February of 2023. Christy and I were lucky enough to go to one of his Train the Trainer workshops and have a deeper dive on these topic areas and bring that back to Virginia and try to kind of put legs under this hot topic that nobody really wants to touch, but everyone knows is important um, and how that works with estate planning, but is very different from estate planning. And how do we have those conversations so that everyone can feel heard, successful, and we can have some positive outcomes because ultimately we want our farms to continue here in Virginia. It's important for our food and fiber for all citizens. So we're super excited that Dick's been here with us. And this was a big effort from a young farmer perspective. So um, it takes all generations to be a part of the conversation. And so we really wanted to support that this year at convention. And we hope it's just the start of the conversation. Yeah. Well, without further ado here, 
Hi, Dick. Thanks for Hi. coming. <laughs> really appreciate Good to be here. <laughs> well, we appreciate you being part of the conversation um, here on our podcast for Virginia's Young Farmers. And, you know, I, sitting through your workshop today was really eye-opening because it really put words to a lot of things I've been thinking about and even my own farm family transition plan um, that we've been having over the past couple years. And I'm like, wow. I'm going to take everything home and hand it to my dad and let him do some light reading. So, um, Dick, tell us a little bit about yourself, how your your background, how you got into um, this business. Well, well, I had a great career at Farm Credit. Where I traveled from Northwest back to D.C., and most of that career was working in large and complex loan uh, work, but it evolved into strategic planning and evolved into a lot of Back in the 70s, estate planning was a big deal because the estate taxes kicked in a million dollars, which is nothing today, but back then. And there was really no differentiation between succession and estate planning back then. Um, I had a great career in D.C. and did a lot of consulting work with banks on these issues, but had an opportunity to go back to family business and also set up a private consulting business. And it started out with more financial literacy type stuff and very quickly evolved into how do you uh, how do you develop professional business working relationships in the family business? And it was a topic that wasn't anybody's radar screen. I got asked to talk to an extension agribusiness workshop, and I thought this would be really boring or to be really <laughs> controversial. And it it hit a nerve and it just exploded. Mm-hmm. So I back that was back in the days where there was no training on how to be a consultant. You just had to kind of pioneer your way. And I've I've had a wonderful career of working in the U.S., Canada, Australia, um, coaching, but also having to apply at home the principles that I preach. So I have a multifamily business with a, many different enterprises, and uh, we're in our fourth generation, fifth generation is in the wings. And a lot of what we attest to our success has been a multi-generational commitment to running it professionally. That's not always easy. It's not always popular, but the minute you deviate from that, you're done. You know, you talked a little bit at the beginning of your session today, Dick, on the tragedies that can come out of these conversations. It sounds like uh, you get a lot of folks that come up to you afterwards and say, you hit me like a ton of bricks, yeah. you know, what a common theme. So, um, you know, this this podcast, we really like to be specific and tell some stories. So do you have any examples of um, that you want to share with folks listening of what not to do? Well, I think the first thing not to do is think that you, because you have a problem unique, you're not unique. Um, businesses in general have these problems, but many people in the family business are hermetically sealed. They have not been out in the world. They haven't worked somewhere else. So they have these conflicts, but because you have a business relationship and a family relationship, it's much more emotional, and it's much more uh, challenging to, to resolve it. Whereas a business in town, you have a conflict, you just quit and go somewhere else. But you can't just quit something where you might be married into or your children of people who you're business partners with. So I have people all the time coming up to me, and they tell me these horror stories. And probably one of the worst ones I ever had was up in Canada, this guy came up to me and said, you just profiled all the things that caused our business to implode, and I wish I had heard you 10 years ago. And you look at him and you go, I can't help you. Yeah. But 
But he made an enlightening comment. He said, you know, why is it that we use up all of our relationship capital thinking we have to hold this together when if we had just recognized earlier on, we don't have alignment of expectations, we're not compatible, but we want to have our family survive. Why didn't somebody help me see and my mom see that? Because they sold her business, all her assets, don't speak to his siblings. He hates his mom, his mom hates him, and he said, we destroyed everything. Our financial net worth and all of our family net worth. And I just thought, why is it that people are not accessing advisors, mentors, people that can help them figure this out before they get that far down of of a wreck? Well, I think some folks don't think about soft skill development in their own family farm. And one of the things that you talked about today, which I thought was really interesting, was personality assessments going in and, and, and talking to folks and that dynamic of trying to figure out how do we best work together? Maybe we don't actually work together. Well, sometimes it's totally innocent and people don't work at understanding themselves. And so they make assumptions. Um, you might have a person that's a D, a dominant personality, where they just are very, it's comfortable for them to express an opinion about everything, and they're just all about results, and let's just get going. And you have someone who is asked the support type person, so does, is anti-risk, uh, and they think, well, they don't have an opinion. They're just stupid. Well, they're not stupid. They have opinions. They're just waiting for you to ask them what your opinion is. And by going through some simple training, it's amazing how people go, oh, now that I understand how you're wired and how I'm wired, I'm going to change how I approach you and I communicate. And if there's a genuine interest to make it work, people can really grow. They can adjust their styles. Um, I require every client to go through these before I ever see them face-to-face because I I can't afford to wait six months to figure this out. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing the ahas and the almost the confessions and the forgiveness that's asked from each other as they go through this and go, wow, now that I understand this, I see how I've offended you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the person Imagine who that. never talks says, I'm, I'm sorry, I guess I should have been, even though it's uncomfortable, I should express my opinions, but I'm a C, I'm an S, I'm, I'm not going to answer until you ask me. Mm-hmm. The, so the ahas that people want to make it work, they make it worth it. And it doesn't have to be perfect, but it's, it's a more of a, if you are genuinely committed to building a professional communications culture, people can learn. They can be coached. But if you're just stuck in your groove that says, I am who I am and you're not going to change me, then that person probably needs to get off the bus. Yeah. Well, and you talked about that a good bit today, too, of uh, kind of the right person in the right place. And as part of that discussion, um, along with clear communication and kind of owning reality and where you're at, with your family and with your farm business was developing a board of directors. And you even mentioned that they already exist likely uh, within your operation. It's just whether everybody agrees on who's who and who plays what role. So what does that look like in a, in a practical sense? Well, we've, we've grown our industry from a fairly modest mom and pop type thing down to where we have multiple generations working in a business. We have some that are owners, some that are workers, some that are both. And so transition has become multi-generational in, in nature. And so there are, any business has basic business functions that are traditionally assigned to a board. Like who decides who will be the next manager of a business when the CEO retires? That's a board function. Who is responsible for financial overview to make sure that you don't jeopardize your, your equities? That's a board function. 
Um, who sets the strategic direction for the business on should we grow, should we diversify, should we do no-till? Those are strategic issues that many people do, but as they have these discussions, they don't identify those job responsibilities as those are functions that an owner board of directors normally does. So when I ask people in a room, how many of you have a working board of directors? Most of the time I get 100% blank stares. <laughs> but if I ask them, how many of you do these things? They all raise their hand. Well, you are doing board functions, but you've not identified that in that particular day, that's the hat you're wearing, which is not a big deal until you get into transition and you've got these senior owners that want to let go and they want to move out of the roles of being manager. They don't want a boss anymore, but they're still going to be owners. Today, much of the capital is going to continue in the hands of owners that are retiring out of management, but maybe over much longer horizons, they might be moving out of ownership. So the challenge for them is how do you get out of the way without going away? And then people can start to get it. It's like, okay, I don't want to be CEO anymore. I want to get out of that job, but I still own the business. The job that I'm going to is called a board chairman or mentor or coach, I don't care what title, but you've got to get away. you got to let go of the job you don't want to do anymore and have a, a realistic place to go that still says, as business owner, people are accountable to you. Mm-hmm. The manager that you're going to hire to replace you is still got to work for you because you own the business. And once they get 51%, they can tell you to go away. Mm-hmm. But the reality is um, the board transparency is a significant issue in family business that we have got to get a handle on. I thought it was interesting. You said something here and I wrote it down. You can't delegate what you can't define. And I think that is so interesting because you all, something I say all the time is you don't know what you don't know. And so um, I, you were talking about job descriptions, you were talking about written policies, um, even family employment policies and the fact that they're written documents, I would never work, you know, I work an off-the-farm job um, in my local electric cooperative, but I would never go work for a job that didn't hand me a job description of what I was doing before I got hired. And yet, I watched my brother work on our family farm. I don't, other duties as assigned. That is what his job description <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah. So the importance of those written documents is you know, that just like you said, it's just like establishing a board of directors. It's got to be like a professional business. Yeah, and I want to back up and, and, you know, kind of give recognition and validation to the previous generations. The fact that they didn't write these down doesn't mean they didn't have them. But we had people, husband and wife teams, uh, co-leaders, brothers, brothers and sisters that worked over 20, 30, 40 years where there was clarity on their job responsibilities, but it was in their heads. And because there was mutual respect and clear identity, uh, one person was clearly the ground manager, and everyone knew the decisions that person had to make. And the other one was clearly the, the marketer, and the other one was clearly the CFO or the, the shop foreman. But when those people reach a point of retiring and you're trying to groom someone else, how do you groom someone to do your job if you can't tell them what it is, the key decision areas that you have to deal with? And so I have a lot of people that are in their senior parts of their careers and they go, I just want to do something else. I want to be an oversight role. I don't want to do this job. And I said, great, what is your job? Well, everybody knows my job. Well, how would you describe it to me? And they are just paralyzed. Mm-hmm. They take for granted this stuff that's in their head until they're forced to put it on paper. And then when they do, they're going, oh, my 
gosh, I had no idea how many areas of responsibility I actually oversee. I have not appreciated the skill sets and experience that it takes to do these jobs well. And like you said, you can't delegate what you can't define. You can't say, if you want to be the agronomy manager, here's 25 areas of decision-making that you have to master. And here's the learning path, and I can have you shadow me, do apprentice work, but until you can do these things well, I can't turn the baton over to you. And that is just a really professional process where people that get that, they do it, they get the job descriptions on paper, they set timetables. Um, okay, every year I'm going to turn these things over, I'm going to turn this many things over. But the ones that just plant their feet and go, everybody knows what I do, they cannot get started on succession. Yeah. Well, and you went over earlier as well, those different types and kinds of planning, whether it's succession planning or estate planning, operating planning, strategic planning, and that each one of those is potentially a different conversation with different groups of people. Um, we did a whole exercise today on defining a board of directors and what that looks like different as, as different from you may your group of managers within the business. Um how does one go about starting to sort through those different types of planning? Well, there's a lot of education that has to start as a foundation for succession planning. And before you can talk about where you want to go to, you have to clearly define where you are and how you got here. And so a lot of people, they just walk into a professional advisor's office, an attorney account, and they say, I think I want to do succession and so they start getting asked questions, and they're verbally giving answers to these people, spoon-feeding information, one answer after another, at the cost of three to $500 an hour. And all they've done after several hours is oriented them on who you are and maybe a little bit how you got here. And no time has been spent in interpreting and analyzing what's it look like. Do we have a viable business? So, you know, going back to your point, a key starting point is getting on paper where you are today, where's your business, where's your personal situation, how do you get that in a three-ring binder or out in the cloud in a way which you can share that with the people who have to know about that, your kids, your stakeholders, and your advisors. So a lot of that you can do yourself. And it's best, um, we published a guidebook years ago that helps people walk through how to put this on paper. Um, it costs the equivalent of an hour of a consulting and a lot of the templates on job descriptions, policies, how to do org charts are discussed in a way in which they show real working examples of how farmers have done this. And so for many people, this is like a big mythology, and it's not rocket science. It's just management 101 applied to agriculture. So once they see that I can do this and they can get this committed to paper, now they're in a position to start saying, well, what's the future look like? And how do we talk to the right people who are affected by this, our kids, our in-laws, where we get their input before we make a plan? And that's probably one of the number one fallacies in, in the past is people have not differentiated estate planning from succession planning. Succession planning has to do with its business life planning. Do you have a business that even should continue? Is that what people want? Do people want to work here? Do they want to own a farm business? Um, what will it take to be successful as an owner? Or what will it take to be an effective employee of this business? And once you have alignment and you have positive answers to those questions, you can work through the, the tactics of how do we get there, the buyouts, the 
job descriptions, the on-the-job training timetables, uh, the requirements for apprenticeship. These are all just the methodology to get there. But one of the conclusions may be we've built a wonderful business, but there's no one wants to work here, nobody wants to own it. You all have successful careers, and you love what you're doing. You love your history and your value system, but no one's farm, nobody wants to own it then let's celebrate and take this, the blessings of this exit plan and help each of you follow your dreams. That's an okay succession plan as well. Mm-hmm. And we don't often let's call that a success. We call that a failure in many realms. And I think that's a terrible disservice to family farms. It's just a farm's an investment and it's a job. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know my siblings and I, we've talked about, um, and maybe Rachel, you've got some insight from working with producers or even within your own family that the legacy piece is the thing that hangs over all of us. You know, I'm sixth generation on my family farm. And the very last thing that I know my siblings and I want to do is, is let that go. But also sometimes you have to be realistic about, Hey, I have an off the farm job or, Hey, I've broke out and I own my own operation now. Like how does all that fit in? And, um, Rachel, as you've been going around and having these workshops, what's the, um, this is just a small tangent, and then we'll be back. Um, but as far as the folks that are showing up for these types of workshops, are you seeing folks that are of the older generation, the younger generation, families showing up together? Or how are producers showing up to get this type of content that Mr. Whitman's sharing? It's all of the above. So we have older generations, which is awesome to see. We have younger generations, which is awesome to see. And the best case scenario is when multiple generations come and hear the same message all at the same time. Then there's no biases. There's no interpretation um, biases. It's we've all heard the same thing and we can refer back to our materials and have those conversations at home that sets up for a better success. So that's why we say it's just the beginning. We hope to keep these (laughs) going so people can experience those and hear, hear a similar message, but it is, it's a tough topic. Yeah. It's hard to get people on board, and we're thankful for those that do come out and spend a day to to hear the message and try to work on this tough topic. Have you had any success stories from the past year that have come back to you um, as far as folks that attended these workshops and what they got out of it? That is a great question. I don't know off the top of my head that I have any specific stories, but I did share with Dick. We did send up a follow-up um, survey to those that attended in February, and we don't have a huge response rate at this moment, but of the response rate, over 50% of those that responded said that they've taken action since the workshop. Hey and yo, so that's I nice. think yeah. that's a win. I was really excited <laughs> about that. That's huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. And so we kind of broke that down of if you're a landowner or if you look to inherit land or purchase land or if you're a professional working with family farms, mm-hmm. um, and we kind of had some different options there. So I was pretty excited to hear that. Yay. Well, I love to hear that because (laughs) this is a great resource. So, Dick, coming back to you now, as far as tips for getting these types of conversations started, let's say I'm a young farmer. I have all sorts of hopes and dreams about how my farm transition plan is going to go when I go back and uh, hypothetically tell my dad of all the things that I've learned today. How is the best way to get started with this conversation within a family dynamic? Okay, first I'll tell you what not to do. (laughs) That sounds perfect, too. (laughs) People come to this and they get really excited. They they identify now with labels. They put a label on something that I can go and work on. And they're ready to rush home. And so it's like, what are you going to do when you get home? And I could read their mind because I know what they're going to do is they're going to go home and they go, 
I just went to the seminar. I learned a whole bunch of really great things. And I look around and I realize that you've done none of this. And I don't know how in the world you guys have survived not having done any of these things we learn how to do today. I just understand how you could survive being so screwed up. That's what you don't do. Okay. Got it. Okay. So Noted. Let's back up and start over. We need to recognize that the prior generations were in a different culture. They had long tenured relationships, a lot of husband and wife teams that built things from scratch into multi-million dollar businesses, where it was all done informally. They didn't write job descriptions or charts. They didn't have board of directors meetings, but they had those things. They were just all informal. They didn't have written policies and SOPs, but they had a professional approach to paying people it was well done it worked out over time and it was oftentimes very informal and in people's heads but when people work together for 40 50 years there's no doubt what structure is it's just in their heads so for this next generation what we have to figure out is how to appreciate that success and help our parents celebrate what they've done but say no how how can we be successful and what do we need from you as the prior generation so approaching them and saying man we just went to this workshop where we learned a lot but we also realized we've taken a lot of things for granted over the years about what you know and because a lot of this is in your head is there's institutional knowledge that if we have a much more competitive world things are moving faster we need you to help us understand how you succeeded and how do, how do we recognize your successes by getting on paper? What were the values that made you successful? What are the roles you've had and the decisions you've had to make that we've taken for granted, but until we see that more detailed listing, we don't know what skill sets we need. So you put it back on yourself of you are an asset that we have to tap. And the only way we're going to be able to tap that effectively is work together on taking what's in your head and getting out of your head onto a piece of paper. So instead of a criticism for not having it, it's more of a, I'm pleading with you. I need to know what's in your head to be able to succeed the next generation. And they go, well, if that's what you want to do, as <laughs> long as I don't have to write it down, as long as I don't have to run a computer, mm-hmm. and you start simple with some low-hanging fruit. Just things like a little workshop on what if we put our vision and core values on paper as a group and tried to see where we align. I don't have anybody that I haven't talked to that doesn't want to know what's the history of this farm. And they always talk about sitting down a meeting with uncle Joe and taking a tape recorder and we're going to get all these great stories, but they don't do it. And then what happens? Uncle Joe dies. So getting history committed to paper where it can be shared with generation after generation, you understand the sacrifices, but you also understand the, the wisdom and the innovations and what made them successful now we can build on that. We're not acting like we're the first ones to come in with innovation and creativity. Yeah. So it's, it's a, there's a lot of strategy on how you communicate the importance of investing time in documentation. And it can be construed as a negative or you'll get pushed back. Or it can be construed as we need to give this to the kids so they can continue and succeed in the next generation. I did what not to do 10 years ago. I think it was 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Uh, I went to NCBA's uh, Cattleman College, and they had a presenter there on farm transition. That was the first time I'd ever heard of it. I just thought, you know, I don't know, people die, and they just, you know, whatever. Now, there has been a legacy in our family that's always been a buyout process. Um, My great-granddad 
kind of transitioned things to my dad. So it was, there was a generation gap in there. It flowed a little well, uh, a little bit better. And so I came home as a, you know, 20 something year old college student. I was like, dad, listen to this. This is so good. And he's like, does it look like I have one foot in the grave, Morgan? And I was like, <laughs> yikes. And then I didn't hear anything more about it. And then like a couple of years ago, dad had a, had a call to family meeting, mm-hmm. which we can talk about that a little bit. They called a family meeting and he said, you know, my attorney said it might be good if I start talking about some of this stuff. And I was like, is there an echo in here? I feel like I heard that before, but that's okay. It's all good. <laughs> all good in the hood. It's fine. But as far as that family meeting goes, maybe a controversial question, in-laws or no in-laws as part of those family meetings? Great. Let me back up. This is <laughs> I get asked a bazillion times, where's the best place to start? And so that is typically my go-to answer is we need to start with a family meeting where the primary ground rules are there'll be no decisions it's got to be broader than narrower if you need to have a subsequent meeting with narrower participation fine but anybody that's affected by this your kids the in-laws should be in that meeting because it's informational it's to explore dreams opportunities fears obstacles but no expectation that anybody's going to make a commitment to come back to the farm or to invest in the farm or that mom and dad need to set a date for retirement. None of that. Why is this so important? I think a lot of kids misconstrue parents' hesitance to engage here as they don't want to do it. And that's wrong. They want to do, they want to have a plan, but they're scared to death. They don't see success stories. All they see is the horror stories up and down the road of the people that tried it and it blew up. And they only get one chance. So you don't get to practice. <laughs> you get one shot at it. And if you do it right, great. If you don't, then it's you spend the rest of your life listening to your next generations talk about how they screwed it up. Mm-hmm. So are they scared? Let's recognize that they're scared of failure and they don't have a lot of good role models for success. So having said that, we have to demystify the process. So that's where I think we have been affected by helping people see that it's complex, but it's doable. There's a path, and a lot of this path, you can do the homework. You don't have to pay a lot of money out to professionals. Sit down, get your homework done, educate yourself on the business, how it got to where it is. Have a family meeting where you bring people in. Um, If you can self-medicate and facilitate it, that's great. I actually like to see that. But if there's so much angst and frustration that you won't go well, bring a facilitator in and set up an agenda in advance so people know what's going to get talked about. Really quickly, it can start with just going around the table and say, what are everybody's goals? And not asking for commitments, but is there an interest in the farm as a career? Is there an interest possibly in an owner someday? If you don't know, say don't know. But what do you know? What are you willing to express? What are the, what's the financial situation in this farm, and are we viable? Yeah. You should know that. Um, what is the estate challenge we face as parents? How much estate tax would be looking at today if we do nothing? It's been fascinating to chair a lot of those meetings and have people somewhat intrepidated at first. I'm not sure if that's a word. But as they loosen up and they see people are interested in what you have to say, and as people get a little more less afraid to speak their piece. Others get less afraid. And next thing you know, it's like people are sharing, they're saying their fears. 
uh, mom and dad are going, well, this farm will only support one family, and we're worried that we disappoint somebody, and four out of the five say, we don't want to farm, but we want the farm to continue. We'd really love to see so-and-so to carry it on. They've had the passion to do it, and we've always talked about that's the heir or successor. Uh, we'd like to be owners, but we will respect a reasonable return on investment. And you get these meetings, you get all done, and mom and dad are going, I had no idea that's what the kids were thinking. The kids are going, well, you never asked us. Mm -hmm. So simply the opportunity to ask people to open up their hearts and minds in a non-threatening, non-decision, it's a game changer. Now you've opened the door. People have a better understanding of the decisions. It's like my wife and I, when we had that with our kids, it's like we, we don't have an expectation that you could come back to farm or work or be an owner. We just need to know what your interests are so we can make a plan because we can't go on indefinitely here. And it's like, okay, well, and we get to make that choice. Yes, you do. The only choice you don't get is putting it off forever because mm-hmm. <laughs> we want to make a plan. And if you don't want to be here, you don't want to work here, you don't want to own this farm, we will make plans to, to maximize that hour, that exit plan. It seems so easy <laughs> in theory. It's just all those emotions that come up during the whole process. But, you know, Dick, your resources are really awesome. You talked a little bit about um, your your guidebook. Where can folks, and maybe Rachel, if you want to hop in here too, where is the best place for folks to continue this conversation? Are there, um, I'm sure your guidebook is a great resource if you want to share where you can find that or other resources, scripts, that sort of thing out there. Well, our website has um, a lot of articles on the topic of succession and, and running a business like a business. I find a lot of people go on there, and I, I, they have no intention of ever hiring me, but they read and they call me up and say, I have now feel like I'm an informed basis to ask somebody the right questions. Mm-hmm. That's a key part of that. Is, is so, We have a saying in the consulting world, which is educate before you consult. So a lot of our work has done educating people to a point where they can come up with a realistic expectation of how would you handle things? How would you handle a job description? How would you set up a reasonable compensation plan? Most of these family businesses, people are working in them, have not worked in a lot of other places. They don't have the precedence of how business is handled. So the guidebook is designed to give them reasonable expectations on a lot of issues including inappropriate behavior and what could be the consequences Mm -hmm. if you are not committed to a professional communications culture, expect to be kicked off the bus. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're working in a business, embrace performance evaluations. Don't say, I'm family, you can't evaluate me. That's, That's saying I don't believe in accountability. And no business can survive. That's anarchy. So the, the website can share with you articles. It has ordering information on the guidebook, which includes a syllabus of what's in it so you can look through and say, hey, this this could be a valuable resource. But Extension, Farm Bureau, there are so many organizations that ha- there's a plethora of documentation on succession planning. It isn't that documentation doesn't exist. It's that people don't know how to sort out what's useful and what's not, mm-hmm. what's current. And, and the number one problem I have with people is it's not enough to just go, that's an interesting idea. If they cannot see a path for execution and implementation, all we've done is just frustrated them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's been central goal for my entire career is I want implementation. I want to see people execute. I don't want to say that was really interesting, but I'm going to go home and nothing's ever going to change. If we don't change behavior and get execution, then we have failed. 
an extension is trying to piggyback off of that same idea that Dick's shared of educating before you can consult or really help folks. So, um, you know, kickstarting with some of these educational programs with Dick as the star presenter. And then we've created some resources where people can go for more information. Um, we've used the International Farm Transition Network, which um, has trained certified farm succession coordinators, so a coordinator or facilitator. And so there's numerous, um, probably 20-plus Virginia extension agents and other industry folks, including Farm Credit and Farm Bureau, that have been trained in that to help um, figure out, support families through this process. Um, so if, as Dick said, if there's not someone within the family that can help carry that torch and keep everyone accountable and kind of lead that charge, um, we do have coordinators that can help support that. Um, but there's there are definitely a lot of resources. Sometimes it's hard to find them. But um, as we mentioned, Farm Credit, Farm Bureau, and Extension are working together and, and have a lot of that shared knowledge of kind of who can help and how we can support in that fashion. That's awesome. I want to add to what you just said, too. In different parts of the U.S., it, the delivery systems have to vary. And on the East Coast, because of, you have a lot of part-time farms, a lot of smaller size farms, a lot of people don't feel like they can go out and hire a twenty or thirty or $40,000 consultant to go through this for a year or two. They just don't feel like it's... But we have a great opportunity here that we're Farm Credit, Farm Bureau and extension have really worked collaboratively along with your farm link where they can do a lot of the base building in a very, very efficient way. You can help these people start to build this information foundation. They can get the low hanging fruit, like documented mission, vision, value statements, uh, doing some financial trend analysis where you're, you're bringing a client to the real more expensive advisors who have a vetted client that is already educated and now those people can be so much more efficient with these people than if they're starting with somebody that's literally coming on day one with nothing in their hands, nothing thought through of the questions they should ask. So I just applaud the work that that collaboration has done. I've had a lot of farm credit and people who have gone on to become family business consultants. Uh, we just had five of them in a class in last month in, in Fresno and they're rock stars who are already doing this, but by being able to tune up their processes, they went home, and now I think they're more confident they can do it in a more consistent fashion. That's We've got to grow the pool of, of resources, though, faster than we're growing today. Yeah. Yeah, the amount of farmland that's transitioning hands is, I don't know that statistic off the top of my head, but it's overwhelming. Overwhelming. Well, I want to hit end this on a high note. So we talked a little bit earlier about a story of what not to do, but what do you think has been the most heartwarming story uh, you've heard out of your experiences, Dick? Wow. I get a lot of really nice cards for people who are petrified about this. One of the best ones was years ago, a mom in Montana wrote, she said, this is the best Christmas present I could ever get. She says, I've been fretting about succession planning for five years, paralyzed on where to start petrified that we'd screwed up. No, we're only going to get one chance. And she says, after sitting through that all-day workshop, I realized it's, it's, it's complex, but it's doable. And I am, because I see now that it's a process that is doable, I am excited to embrace it. She says, that's the best Christmas present I could have got. And boy, that, that meant a lot. Because we, we need to help people realize it's not simple. Let's be honest. 
but it is doable. And it's just a matter of having the path, having the tools where farmers are smart. You look at the things they do and build and they're do-it-yourselfers. A lot of this stuff in base building you can do yourself. And then don't be afraid to engage advisors you trust to take you to the finish line and invest in the process. Don't sit at home and fret about it. You, they'll, the advisors will get you to the, to the end. That's awesome. Well, one of our favorite things that we like to do on this podcast is a little bit of a sign off, but what your best piece of advice that you've ever gotten is, I didn't say that right. The preposition was at the end, I think. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? That's the question I'm looking for here. So uh, I'm springing it on you. Normally, I kind of give you a heads up, but uh, both of you can answer. It does not have to be transition plan related. It can be any piece of life advice. We've gotten some good stuff. So Dick, you want to go first? I would say the best advice I had was from a mentor early in my farm credit career where he said, people wait too long and have an opportunity where they haven't been ready for it when it came and then they lost it. You need to be prepared for things that you don't even know are coming and never miss an opportunity to get educated, to grow, to stretch yourself. Because you never know when this crazy opportunity is going to come at you that you didn't plan for. And I can truly say that I never had a career that I laid out as a career path. Most of my opportunities came when I least suspected, but I was always open to an opportunity to grow, to get educated. And those uh, people who have committed to lifetime learning, uh, I'm in awe at what they've been able to do with their lives. Were we like tracking? Because you started talking. I said, you stole all the words I was going to say. It's a theme. It's a theme. I was going to say the same thing. I remember just being young and having people tell me, take all the opportunities that come your way. So whether that's on a trip or that's a job or that's a opportunity to have a conversation with someone on the side of the street, just take those opportunities. You'll never know what you're going to learn Um, And kind of paired with that, which was similar to you, Dick, is if you don't try to get out of your comfort zone, growth will not happen. So to be able to grow, stretch, you're going to have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so I think the same with this. It's kind of a theme, you know, the family's going to have to be a little uncomfortable um, through this process, but... I would say that the fear, like that woman was talking about for years, you're paralyzed by the fear, and sometimes that fear is worse than actually going through it. Um, so just take those opportunities, and I know it's hard, but hold a hand and jump on in. That's awesome. Well, we thank you both for being here today. Again, a spectacular workshop on farm transition. Um, and we appreciate the time that y'all are both putting in. Y'all, it sounds like you've got a little bit of a road show with a training later this week as well. Uh, we've got another workshop tomorrow here at the Virginia Farm Bureau Annual Convention in Virginia Beach. Um, but stay tuned for other conversations on this topic coming up with Virginia Farm Bureau. Make sure that if you're a young farmer, 18 to 35 years old, you're plugged into our Winter Expo registration. Uh, That should be coming live sometime in January, um, and that's going to uh, showcase a piece Again, kind of same idea around generational conversations on the farm, but kind of talking um, 
among generations, different generations talking to each other about farm transition and, and how to have good, clear communication. Um, and then it also sounds like we're still gearing up for 2024 uh, annual meeting next year to continue this conversation because all these parties recognize how important it is that uh, farm farmers keep farming uh, generation to generation. And that's something I think we can all agree on. So thank you guys again for your time today. Thank you. You can keep the conversation going on social media at Virginia Young Farmers or send us an email at vayoungfarmerspodcast at gmail.com with ideas on future topics you'd want to hear to help navigate farming, life, or both. We can't wait to be with you again on Virginia's Young Farmer Podcast. Until then, happy farming. Happy farming.